the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ask Christopher West Show, hosted by Wendy, Wendy West. West. Here I am. <laughs> I love her. As you know, I'm two weeks out from returning from a 10-day tour of Australia. <laughs> Australia. And, <laughs> well, they, they add R's on things. They remove R's yeah. on words. And then I they know. add ours on words. It's all sort of random. Uh, 10-day tour of Australia and New Zealand. And I am still recovering from the jet lag. It is rough. I used to be able to absorb it uh, in my younger years. But I don't know. Something about getting old makes it <clears throat> difficult. But it was a marvelous trip. Yeah. I had never been to New Zealand before. Shout out to all the good people who brought us there and... There's not a huge Catholic population in New Zealand. We did a Made for More event there, and they were expecting maybe 100 people, and nearly 600 people came out, uh, which was really exciting for them. And Do you think they were mostly Catholic? Uh, that was my sense of it. Okay. Yeah, that was my sense of it. It could have been otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that so there's, there's I, I sensed a deep seed of this glorious TOB truth was planted in New Zealand soil. And uh, I, I had been to Australia many times before, and there already is a kind of movement underway there. And that was growing and very exciting to see how that mm -hmm. is growing. And I know you met some of our podcast listeners I there. I did. Yes. So hello to you a all. A shout out to all of our Kiwi uh, podcast listeners and our Aussie <laughs> podcast listeners. That's always fun at these events to meet our podcast listeners. Yes. You have fans, lover. You have fans <laughs> around the world. That's pretty fun for me to see, too. That is just something I can't understand, but I say thank you, Lord. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any updates from the TOB Institute for us today? I do. I, I can't remember if I've already shared this on a podcast or not. We will have this link in the show notes below. But we have a new way of introducing people to our TOB1 online course. Mm -hmm. And it, it's very easy to remember. You can share this with friends and family. TOBforfree.com. Mm. Uh, TOBforfree.com will take you to a website where you can sign up for three free sessions of the TOB1 course mm. to get people, you know, they can sample it and see if they want to take the course. And there's information there also. Uh, when you get in that whole uh, email sequence, you'll get information about uh, scholarship possibilities. If that's a need, we never, ever want money to get in the way of people taking our courses. So please, all you dear podcast listeners out there, especially the ones who have not yet taken a course with us, if you want to go for a deep dive into what John Paul II has given us, and money is the only obstacle, don't let that be an obstacle. We have a scholarship fund. We never want money to get in the way. Uh, if we don't have enough funds in our scholarship fund uh, at a given time, uh, I always 
say to people, I will find some way. We will trust it to the Lord, and we'll find some way to make it work. And on that note, I just want to invite anyone out there who is not a patron of the TOB Institute, your patronage enables us to increase our scholarship fund. So Hmm. if you would consider that, and all of the links are below to learn more. I'll tell you this. I have never heard of TOB for... TOBforfree.com? Yeah. Therefore, I don't think you said it on the podcast. I don't think I've said it on the podcast before. That was the first time, and we'll bring it up again, uh, I'm sure, in future episodes. So I want to say right now to our producer, Thomas, could you please include that TOBforfree.com link as a standard link now in the description or our show notes, actually, of our podcast. Description is what you say for YouTube. It's in the description below. And show notes is what you say for a podcast. Okay. I wouldn't know these things if it weren't for our helpful producer. Thank you, Thomas. Are you ready for a question from a patron? Yes, let's do it. Okay. This is from a patron named Beth. Hello, Beth. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a TOB patron. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. I just wanted to let you know that I was born in the earlier part of the 90s, and I recognized Christopher's song at the beginning of the last episode Uh as the theme song for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I grew up watching Mr. Rogers. Okay, we had asked. Uh, We wondered if the young people even knew Mr. Rogers. That's right. Also, she says, I want you to know, Christopher, that I became a patron because I felt a nudge that maybe I should become a patron, and you called out the nudge on the (laughs) next episode I listened to. Oh, that's fun. She says, I love how the Lord works. So there are people out there right now who are feeling the nudge. (laughs) I'm calling you out. I don't necessarily feel as though I have a profound question. So maybe I'll just let you know the following, and you can respond as you feel the Spirit moving. I am a single woman desiring to be married, and I've loved the insights you both share for single people. Also, I've been struck by many topics in Theology of the Body, including the following. Original solitude, especially how this relates to me in this season of my life. Mature spontaneity. Ooh, she's studied. Yeah. I so desire to live my life fully embodying this mature spontaneity that JP2 talks about. And recently in my reading of Theology of the Body, I've come across the word torpor. Uh as the sleep God put Adam into to create Eve. It was as if God recreated Adam to create Eve. I found myself wondering if I too need to be put into a torpor before coming to meet my spouse. Mm. Mm, Wow, wow, wow. Beth, I am impressed, girl. You you have really taken up a study of JP2's text and that is exciting and delighting to me. Uh, I, I could go on uh, forever and ever on these various <laughs> things that she's bringing up because they tap into infinite mm. mysteries. But I'll just say a brief word about each, especially for our listeners who, who may not be familiar with these terms. Original solitude. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. Solitude, John Paul's reflections on original solitude come from that line in Genesis, it is not good for the man to be alone. And there's the obvious meaning, right? It's not good for the male to be without the female. But JP2 presses into the fact that the word man in the Hebrew is Adam, small a, not capital A, the male Adam, but small a Adam, which means man in the generic sense, the human person. 
So this experience of solitude is common to every human person. And it is not only that we are alone without the opposite sex, it's that we are alone in the visible world as persons, right? Adam discovered his solitude when he named the animals and realized there's no helper fit for him among the animals. He is the only person in the visible world. So solitude is the experience of personhood, and personhood is the experience of freedom, and freedom is the capacity to love. And in that capacity, we feel an ache, we feel a longing. We could even speak of the ache of solitude. And what we also learn is that ache of solitude can only be fulfilled ultimately in what John Paul II calls becoming a partner, partner, <laughs> a partner, or that's how that sound came out of my mouth. I combined the two words, becoming a partner or a spouse of the absolute, right? So the ache of solitude, the longing for love, the discovery of my personhood, the discovery of my freedom ultimately points me to the call to enter into the freedom of the life-giving love of the Trinity and to become a partner of the absolute. Now we can recognize if this is the foundation of our humanity and the ultimate fulfillment of our humanity, we come from God, we're destined to return to God, all of this is discovered in what John Paul II calls original solitude. Now we understand that the relationship of man and woman, which comes about, as Beth pointed out, through this torpor, this, this deep, mysterious sleep, Adam is put, Adam, remember Adam means the man in a generic sense, Adam is put into a deep, mysterious sleep, and he awakens male and female. He awakens Adam and Eve. But this relationship, male and female, is only a sign, a, a, a sacrament, a primordial sacrament, meaning a fundamental, the original sacrament, the original sign in the world of our ultimate destiny, which is the marriage of Christ and the church, the marriage of the Lamb, to be partner of the absolute. So, Beth, do you need to enter into that torpor? I think you're onto something really important. We are all called to enter into this mysterious deep sleep, and many of the fathers of the church connect the deep sleep of Adam with the deep sleep of Christ, right? Adam, Adam here, let's use that expression, Adam is put into a deep sleep uh, in the beginning, and his bride is born from his side. The new Adam, Jesus Christ, is put into a deep sleep on the cross, and the church, his bride, is born from his open side. Countless fathers of the church and saints and mystics have drawn out that connection. So, yes, in as much as we are all called to die with Christ to whatever might be disordered desires for love, for marriage, uh, any way that we might be idolizing the marital relationship or the sexual union, uh, yeah, that entering into that deep sleep, dying with Christ, is critical for all of us to, to experience a, a deep purification. And it's that purification that leads to this third concept that Beth brought up, uh, that that uh, 
deep and genuine spontaneity mm -hmm. that we are all called to. What does JP2 mean here by talking about this creative and rich spontaneity in the relationship of man and woman? He's talking about here purity of heart and chastity as a virtue, and he's, count he's countering the idea that chastity is a wet blanket on erotic passion, right? True, authentic, erotic spontaneity is not the spontaneity to indulge my lustful desires. Rather, it's freedom from that compulsion to indulge that enables me spontaneously to become a true and sincere gift to another through a redeemed experience of erotic desire. And the analogy I always use when I teach this in my TOB1 course, so I talk about uh, the analogy of playing a musical instrument. And we usually have a piano in the room, so I'll say to people, I'm feeling spontaneous! And I'll run over to the piano and I'll just start banging on it, making really grating, meaningless noise. And I'll ask the students, how many, how many of you would say that that uh, so-called music lifted your, your soul to the heights of heaven. And of course, there are lots of laughs. And I say that is akin to what we're doing when we spontaneously indulge our lusts. We are banging on a piano keyboard, making meaningless noise that is actually really jarring to our system and to the systems of others. And then I ask the students, who here in the room actually knows how to play the piano. And inevitably somebody raises a hand and I say, are you feeling spontaneous? And that person will come up and tickle those keys and make beautiful music. And I'll ask the students, whose spontaneity do you prefer? Right? The choice is obvious. But then I add, behind the spontane spontaneity of the beautiful music is a lifetime of discipline, of sacrifice, of training, of struggle to learn how to make the beautiful music, right? And here's the analogy. We are not all called to be professional musicians by the gospel, but we are all called to be professional lovers. We are called to make that beautiful music that is singing the song of songs. And to do that, we have to stop banging on the piano keyboard and learn how to discipline our muscles, so to speak. Learn how to discipline our passions so that we can put them at the service of beautiful love, of singing that song of songs. And to keep people from being discouraged, I'll, I'll draw out the analogy even further, and I'll say, now, don't get discouraged. You know, it's not that on day one you're going to be able to play like Mozart, but anybody with two minutes of instruction can, with a single finger, sound out the melody, for example, to Mary Had a Little Lamb or Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, right? And sure enough, it's not Mozart. It's not going to lift your soul to the, heaven right, to the heavens right away. But that simple melody played with one finger is a heck of a lot more pleasing to the soul than just banging on the keyboard and making meaningless noise. So there are some reflections for you, Beth, and for all our podcast listeners on those three ideas that you shared. 
Keep studying the TOB, Beth. It will repay your effort countlessly. I was about to say a hundredfold, but that doesn't even do justice to it. <laughs> it will repay your effort with infinite rewards. No exaggeration. Mm. That is beautiful. I am touched by all that Beth shared. Um, just since her um, her journey is really drawing on the spirit in beautiful ways, and um, she's taking in some of the the details of the teaching and incorporating them into her understanding of herself and her story, and I think. How beautiful. Isn't that what we are yeah. trying to do as we teach and share on this podcast is to allow this vision, which is so different from what the world is offering us, this vision that comes from the heart of Christ for us, who loves us and wants to be united with us, to inform our understanding of who we are and what our story is all about. So I love that. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Our next question is from a listener named James. Hello, James. James says, hi, Christopher. I'm a second year university student who's received many blessings from listening to you and your wife on this podcast. Thank you so much for all that you do through this ministry. You are so welcome, James. We are blessed to do it. James says, I recently joined a laboratory that does a lot of amazing drug research to treat infectious diseases. They've developed a lot of important therapies and helped so many patients get treatment for infectious disease. I've been with them for three months and I've learned so much. Recently, I learned that they have done research using embryonic stem cells in the past. I know they do not currently use those cells because of the high price and limited availability. If the lab is open to but not actively using embryonic stem cells, am I morally obligated to stop working with them? Or would it be enough to make sure that my research doesn't include those cells while others in the laboratory do use them? Are there any resources that a young scientific researcher could benefit from reading? Yes, thank you, James, for your question. And I, I'm struck by the sensitivity of your conscience, which is sadly rare in our world today. And I just want to commend you for that. Uh, you are not doing anything wrong by working for this company, even though the company does not hold to Catholic beliefs across the board, right? Um, so long as you are not actively engaging directly in in things that would be immoral yourself. So it does not sound like you are doing that, and it sounds like you can avoid that and continue to work for the company, right? If we demanded absolute moral purity of every company we worked for, well, guess what? No one could even work for the Theology of the Body Institute, <laughs> because none of our employees, myself, uh, the president of the of the organization, none of us are 100% pure in our humanity. Uh, nobody reaches that until the eschaton, right? So we don't want to confuse uh, a call to purity with puritanism. And puritan, puritanism is, is really a failure to recognize that the wheat and the weeds grow together in all of us until the end of time. That's a direct quote 
from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I don't care if you're Mother Teresa or St. John Paul II, uh, you still, in this life, had some weeds mixed in with the wheat. Of course, there was much more wheat in JP2 and Mother Teresa than there were weeds, but the weeds were, were also there, right? So that's just part of our broken humanity. Puritanism is this idea that, that you can have all wheat and really thoroughly rid yourself of the weeds. And remember what Jesus said, don't be too hasty to pull up those weeds because you might take the wheat up with it. They grow together. This is, this is a real struggle. I, I mean, there's part of me that would like to imagine myself for myself that I could be somehow 100% pure. I look back at my life and there's ample evidence that that is not the case. And I have to reckon with the fact that there's great good in me and there's the capacity for great evil and, and sometimes I fall. That's part of the journey. Um, so yeah, we can't demand 100% purity of ourselves, of the companies we work for, which are made up of broken human beings. The point is that we don't directly participate uh, in evil ourselves. So it sounds like you're doing that, James. You're, you're on solid ground there. I think, too, James has an opportunity there. Being a man of just a sincere um, conscience and desire to research in a way that is really doing good on this Indeed. earth. Yeah. I think that he may very well have the opportunity to be a light and to raise questions. Not that you need to start out doing that as a new employee. I think there's a sensitivity to the spirit where you might um, just wait and see what relationships you form there in your work and what influence you might have, what people might be willing to consider what you have to say when the time seems right to talk about that topic. Um, it's painful to discover that a, a place that you were feeling admiration for and excitement about has, you know, something that is so obviously wrong as part of its story. And so I think that pain of discovering that, James, is also something that can inspire your prayer um, mm. as you are entering into this field of work that you are called to be praying in a very particular way as you become aware of needs in a particular way you're all the more equipped to pray very very much more specifically and um, just with a certain cry of the heart that comes from within the need. That mm. is very beautiful way to pray. So I just want to encourage you that that may be stirring in you as you're also wondering about what should I do? I think that that sense of the, the pain in the father's heart over this um, very tragic uh, treatment of unborn babies and how that has gotten to be such a common thing in the world of of scientific research. I think you're feeling the Father's heart and can be praying and waiting for opportunities to share something that maybe hasn't even occurred to the people there. So beautiful yeah. love. I, I I really like how you put that um, that that prayer can well up from the very pain 
that James is experiencing here as a cry of the heart to the Father. And I know, Wendy, that that comes out of you from a lived experience. Uh, I, I just want to say something about my wife. I'll often find her in the morning. She'll be down having her breakfast, and she's looking at headlines on her news feed, and she takes that, she allows the, you know, like, an earthquake here, a tragedy there, war-torn parts of the world, and all that the suffering, all the suffering that that involves. I know, Wendy, you take that to heart. You feel that pain, yeah, and you you offer it as as intercession, as a prayer. That's that's the real deal. Uh, I I I learned so much from you, Wendy, in the way you pray. So thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Our next question is from a listener named Teresa. Hello, Teresa. Teresa says, I was sexually abused Mercy. when I was six years old. Mercy. As I grew up, I masturbated myself without knowing what it is. Mm. Now it has become a habit. And I'm also drawn to porn sites sometimes. I feel terrible about this. I want to free myself and live my life for God fully. Can you help me? Bless you, dear Teresa. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Before I I say anything, I just want to reverence your suffering. I'm, I'm reading a book right now called The Cry of the Heart, and it's a collection of uh, reflections from my late mentor, the great Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete. And he says the the proper response to someone else's suffering is a willingness to co-suffer. And it's not that we can actually feel that other person's pain as that other person feels it. But co-suffering involves first a reverence for that person's suffering and a willingness to enter into the why. Christ is the prime exemplar of what it means to co-suffer, right? He, He did enter into our pain, and that pain culminated for him on the cross in a deep cry of his heart, my God, my God, why? Why, why have you forsaken me? And so I want to say to you, Teresa, that that cry of your own heart, why, God, did you allow this to happen to me? Why, God, why, why? That that is a very genuine and real prayer. And it is a prayer that, whether we realize it or not, when we ask that why, and it can be raw, and it can be painful, and it can be... Uh, bloody, it can be ugly, that raw, ragged why that comes up out of our heart in the face of what we have endured and suffered in this life, and in particular for you, having suffered this terrible violation of your dignity as a young girl, that why is a prayer in union with Jesus. There is a deep, profound communion with Christ the Bridegroom right in the why of that prayer. 
I reverence that, and I ask for the grace to be willing to to enter into that why with you. When when others are willing to enter into that why, we know we're not alone. And Albacetti, I remember in the classroom when I had him as a professor, he would say, if somebody ever says to you, you should never ask why of God, your response should be why. Jesus himself asked why. And if Jesus himself, who is God, is with us in our feeling of God-forsakenness, if God himself is with us when we feel forsaken by God, then wow, we're, we're not forsaken by God even when we feel forsaken by God because Jesus was willing to enter into that very cry with us. So those are just some preliminary reflections, Teresa, in my desire to, to reverence your suffering and even to be willing to enter into that question with you. I don't want to claim any authority here as a therapist. Uh, we always have that disclaimer in our show that we are not therapists, um, but I would refer you because I, I believe that this kind of trauma will need good therapy. And we have a list of therapists in our show notes that we highly recommend. If you haven't already been through therapy with a, with a good therapist who understands Catholic teaching and can take you into the mystery of the cross for your healing here. I would strongly urge that you do that. Regarding the acting out later in your life with masturbation and pornography, I'm reminded of something that Father Jacques Philippe says in one of his many wonderful little books. If if our listeners, if you are not familiar with the, the many little books of Father Jacques Philippe, he's a French priest, but they've all been translated into English. Uh, they are absolutely marvelous. It, they, they have been such a source of encouragement for me in my own interior journey, looking at my own wounds, looking at my own need to grow in holiness. I can't say enough about the books of Father Jacques Philippe, and I, I don't remember exactly the one I'm quoting from right now. But he says in one of his little books, we can only overcome uh, our disordered desire with a right desire, right? We can only over overcome the, the ways we indulge in disordered things by recognizing the legitimate need underneath that is seeking in a wrong way a fulfillment, right? We have to recognize underneath what we're really looking for and then provide that desire its legitimate fulfillment. Uh, that's the only way to overcome these disordered desires and these disordered indulgences. Discover the genuine need underneath and find God's plan for its genuine fulfillment. And this we can say with certainty. Behind every sexual disorder, as that twisted-up reality gets untwisted through the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, inevitably we will discover a desire that leads us right towards the Eucharist. What enables me to say this with such certainty? 
It's precisely the biblical logic revealed in Ephesians chapter 5, where we learn that the whole mystery of human sexuality, the whole mystery of our creation as male and female, and the call of the two to become one flesh, is a great mystery that refers us to the holy communion of Christ and the Church consummated in the Eucharist. The enemy is after our erotic desires and wants to disorient them precisely so that they will not lead us, they will not orient us towards the marriage of Christ and the Church celebrated and consummated in the Mass, in the Eucharist. I'm sure I've talked about this in previous episodes, but for those who might be tuning in without a history of listening, do you know why the Church traditionally prays her liturgy facing the East? Uh, the Latin expression would be ad orientum, when the priest is facing the rising sun and leading the congregation in that direction. It's not that the priest had his back to the people. That's not the way to look at it. It's that the priest was leading the people to the rising of the sun. Why? Psalm 19 tells us that the sun comes forth like a bridegroom from its tent, and nothing is concealed from the burning heat of the rising sun. In other words, nothing is concealed from the burning love of the bridegroom. When the priest prays ad orientum, the message is, this is how we are to orient our eros, our erotic longing towards the fulfillment of the coming of the bridegroom. Right? The enemy, Teresa, intervened in your life to thwart that proper orientation of your desire. But here is the good news of the gospel, and I will proclaim it boldly to you, my dear beloved sister, Teresa. Christ came into the world to undo the work of the enemy. And what he did in dying on the cross and rising from the dead worked in undoing the work of the enemy. He has crushed his head. The Catechism says Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. And this has truly been affected. How do we know what Christ did on the cross worked? Because Mary the bride at the foot of the cross is immaculate, right? We know when, when the church teaches that Mary is immaculate, without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing, what the church is saying is what Jesus did on the cross worked, and we can tap into it as well. We are not immaculate. In other words, we are maculate, which means we are stained by sin, we are wounded by sin, our desires are twisted up by sin. But there is a path to go on where those desires can be untwisted, where our wounds can be healed. Again, Teresa, good therapy from a, a fine Catholic therapist is going to be very, very helpful for you here. Uh, but so will be a continued study of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. And if you haven't already taken TOB1, I'd encourage you to go to that TOB for free Dot com website and sign up for those three free sessions and you'll get in the system there and you'll find a way to get yourself uh, plugged into our next TOB1 online course. Um, I, I do want us to end 
by praying for Teresa Wendy, but I'm sure you have some things you're going to want to say as well. Mm. Just was thinking about, um, it's so tender. I, I, I love your, your just reverence and reference also to therapy in that it's really hard to know even whether a person is, is morally, you know, responsible right. for some of these things that are connected when to so traumatized. trauma as yeah. a child. Um, so I, I cautiously want to mention that, um, I'll say why I'm saying this cautiously, that going to confession, reconciliation is meant to be a sacrament of healing. It's one of the sacraments of healing for our souls. I only say it cautiously in the sense that um, I really don't know how responsible Teresa is for these experiences, and I would want her to go to that sacrament of healing with a priest who has a, a sensitive heart yes, about yes. that very reality. Yes. And not every priest does. The, the sacrament is not less effective, but our personal experience of it might be a little less helpful, um, depending on the awareness and, and gentleness or just wisdom of the priest administering it. So I have to acknowledge that reality. Yeah. Um, so whether maybe someone who has um, had a similar experience um, to Teresa's and had um, a good experience going to confession with a certain priest. Um, those are thoughts I have just to kind of explain why I'm cautiously, but wanting to mention it in that it's, it's important. It's really important to come before the Lord and his mercy and know that we don't have to be hidden, that he sees us with eyes of love and mercy, and that, that when we fall, he, he knows our whole story mm. and really genuinely wants to rescue us and pour his grace into our minds and hearts and bodies and bring about something new. And, and that's our prayer for you, Teresa, that, um, that by many different means, including just our addressing this question on the podcast, but in so many other ways, we pray that the Lord has been work stirring in you the very words you used here i want to be free and live my life fully for god like what a beautiful beautiful desire you have that has come from the lord who loves you who planted that desire in you when he made you and continues to remind you of your purpose and um I mean, it's very powerful, a sign of grace at work. And we certainly hope that just talking about your question is, is furthering that work of grace that's already going on in your life. Shall we pray? Yeah. Jesus, we lift up our sister Teresa to you. We want to stand in solidarity with her in the cry of her heart. Why? Why, Lord? Why, Lord, why did you allow this traumatic suffering in her life? I ask Jesus that you would show Teresa that you are in that question. You are in that why, for you endured that same why 
from the cross. Jesus, you know all the intricacies of Teresa's heart. You know the trauma. You know where her desires became disoriented. You know the wounds that she's seeking to medicate in acting out in these ways. And you look at her without condemnation. You look at her not in any way to shame her, but you look at her with a gaze of understanding, knowledge, and love of her whole history and of all the intricacies of her heart and of the deep yearning that she has to be in union with you, Jesus. I ask you, Lord, by the power of your death and resurrection, to direct Teresa's desires, ad orientum, to direct them to you, mm. to your coming, to the rising of the sun, to the coming of the bridegroom, that the cry of her heart would be that of the spirit and the bride, come Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that all those diseased ideas and images of the human body to which she's been exposed would be rendered pure and holy and sacred according to the original plan for man and woman when you created us naked without shame and filled man and woman with the desire, the erotic desire, to love as you love when Eros expressed agape, divine love, sacrificial love. Lord, when you invited us to love one another as you have loved us, your words have power in the speaking. They bring about what they proclaimed. And so we speak these words into Teresa's heart, the call to love as you love. And we ask you, Jesus, to give those words real power in Teresa's life, that she would learn what it means to love as a woman, what it means to love with her full sexuality as a woman in purity, according to the original design. Mm. We place this prayer and all of these intentions in the womb of the Blessed Virgin, where all good things are conceived and brought to birth. And I add to this intention, to this list of intentions, also the prayer that Teresa would find the right therapist and the right confessor who has insight, wisdom, and understanding to guide her in these delicate matters. Yes, Lord. We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We hope all of you have been blessed by our episode today. Thank you for the people who've asked questions. Beth, James and Teresa. And we say to all of you, keep the questions coming. And remember, patrons, if you are a patron, that you can go to your patron membership website and submit your question there, and you'll have top priority as Wendy fields all these questions. And if you were blessed by this episode, please remember to share this with others who might also be blessed by it. Until mm -hmm. next time, Wendy, do you want to say it? She's shaking her head. No, I Did can't you? even think of it. Tell me what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, remember. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, that's okay. Okay. Yeah, you got it. You got it. I got it. You think so? Okay. Yeah. Um, I can just say this. You are a gift. There it is. Become what you are. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>
Quest is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.